0: On today's Locked on Jayhawks, we do a full season recap. What we learned from this season of KU football we're officially a week after KU football's bowl result and nine and four finish. What we learned the most, biggest player glow ups for KU, an ode to the fun season. And we'll finish up with the latest in the transfer portal for KU football. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me Monday through Friday as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, anywhere that you uh, listen to the radio in the Lawrence area on KLWN or KLWN.com. Thanks for making Locked on Jayhawks your first listen every day. We are free and available anywhere that you get your podcasts. And on today's edition of Locked on Jayhawks, which you can also find on our YouTube page or you can like and subscribe to the show, we're going to be recapping the KU football 2023 season, what we learned headed into 2024 and about this program overall. And uh, we'll get get to the biggest player glow ups from the season we will get to an ode to the season and the latest transfer portal targets or transfer portal i guess discussion for ku football first this episode of locked on jayhawks is brought to you by fanduel sportsbook make every moment more right now new customers get 150 dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet that's 150 bucks back if your team wins visit fanduel.com locked on to get started So uh, the biggest things we learned from this season, obviously a very successful season for KU in the end, they go nine and four uh, to begin with you win six games last year. I think the talk this year was, you know, obviously the over under was what six and a half, seven, something like that. Could you get to at least seven wins guarantee a a winning season? If you win a bowl game, that's even better, but go to -to back-to-back bowl games. Um, and there was still some hesitation that, oh, man, but now the schedule is going to be tougher and this and that. Uh, I was adamant the whole way through that I thought they'd win seven or eight games. They ended up winning eight in the regular season and even exceeding my expectations because they very easily could have won nine or 10 or maybe even 11 games. When you look at those three kind of coin flip games, with Oklahoma State, Kansas State and the Texas Tech game. Now, in theory, you're you're usually not going to have years where you win every single Uh, coin flip game. Eventually one's going to go against you. So maybe you say, oh, they should have won at least one of the three or or maybe two of the three. Right. But still, there there was a very clear avenue for them winning even more than the eight games. It wasn't like they happened to win eight games and they stumbled into winning eight games. No, like there's real progress. And and with some of the players coming back, that makes you think they could win even more next year. But overall resounding success of the season as it has been every year so far in the Lance Lightpool there. I think one of the biggest things that we learned about this team is The KU really is not that far off from the top of the league. And that goes back in line with, okay, you you went 8-4 and in the regular season, 9-4 and at the bowl game. And yeah, you were so close to maybe playing for a Big 12 title. Because if the Oklahoma State game goes differently, if the the ref calls the offsides or you don't have the uh, red zone interception or your offense just doesn't kind of go in a funk over the last, I don't know, like quarter of, of the game. Maybe then you're sitting in in the Big 12 title game, or uh, if you win that one in Texas Tech, if Jason Bean stays healthy for the Texas Tech games and you have him for the Tech and Kansas State games, maybe you're playing in the Big 12 title, right? You're not that far off from the league, and, and you look at who was in the Big 12 title game, like maybe you were a little further off from Texas, who's playing in the playoff game. Uh, You obviously would have liked to see what it would have been like had you had a healthy Jalen Daniels for that game, or if you would have had just Jason Bean with a full week of prep, you know, would the game have been closer? Would you have competed more? Would it have been 40 to 28 instead, right? You're looking at the game differently. Who knows? But you did know you, you almost beat Oklahoma State, and that was on the road in a game where some weird things happened and you had some bad turnovers go your way or go against you, I guess. Um, You beat Oklahoma, who was one of the other teams in in line for contending for the Big 12 title. You won at Iowa State, who finished up there in the, the Big 12 standings, and you almost beat Kansas State, who also finished up there in the Big 12 standings. So everyone who was up at the top of the Big 12 standings that you played, you didn't play West Virginia, Uh, you either competed with or beat, right? And you very easily could have beat with the exception of really Texas. So it it shows, and now Texas, no club are gone. So you don't even have to worry about Texas there. Now, obviously Utah and Arizona are going to come in with high expectations. Arizona – uh, really good team beat Oklahoma they might finish top 10 this year Utah is gonna have Cam rising back they'll probably be a preseason top 20 team next year you know there's still gonna be good teams in the big 12 and, and you look all the way through point is though there's nobody that you should feel like you go into in the week and be like there's no way we can win that game and that's not all that dissimilar from this year but we we really saw the proof of why this season you know last year you look at it and there were still a couple games where yeah you still lose by like three scores to K-State you still get blown out to uh Texas that didn't Really happened this year with the exception of the Texas game. But even that was a game midway through the third quarter, even despite all of those things that happened against your quarterback position. Uh, something else we learned this year, the Jalen Daniels injury stuff is just a thing. This is kind of an unfortunate takeaway that we have from the year. Uh, but you go back to his freshman year when he was just 17 years old in 2020. He ends up becoming the starter early in the season, ends up getting injured later in the year. And that offensive line was uh, like the worst in, in the entire country that year. He was getting sacked and taking all sorts of hits that it would make sense you would get injured, but it did happen. Then you go to 2021 and in fall camp, I think he suffered some sort of injury that disallowed him from showing himself off. And at that point in time in fall camp, because the coaching staff arrived at the end of the spring game, the first time they saw those guys playing live reps in front of them or, or throwing live reps in front of them was um, in fall camp. And so Jalen Daniels being injured and missing a couple of weeks of fall camp was part of the reason Jason Bean was the starter. Who knows? Jason Bean might've been the starter anyway, even if he uh, was playing all, all through at that point in time. But um, you know, then, then, that injury prevents him from being the starter of the first nine games of the season. Obviously, he ends up being the starter. Then, obviously, we know the injury in the TCU game. Uh, that kept him out for a little bit with the shoulder injury and then the injury that he suffered this year, the back injury that was kind of up and down all throughout, whether it was fall camp or into the season. So there, there's been injury stuff each and every season for Jalen Daniels. It's unfortunate. He is an unbelievable talent, an unbelievable player, unbelievable kid, too. I, I love the character of him and, and the leadership that he shows. I am a gigantic Jalen Daniels fan, but it, it is unfortunate that some of the injury stuff has happened, and it's nothing he can control. You know, it's it's something that just kind of sucks that that he's had to deal with, and and you hope that you can just uh, lightning—I I don't know—kind of strikes and or or whatever for this year that he has one healthy season. That's all you're looking for. That's all he's looking for, right? Because then he can go off to the NFL and and have his sort of career that he wants to have. So uh, the injury stuff, though, to this point has just been a thing, and that trend certainly shows that you feel like you go into this year, and I almost view it as like, Don't expect Jalen Daniels to start all 12 games in 2024. Um, An ideal number, if you can get like nine, nine starts and view the other three where you're like, okay, can you piece it together with maybe Isaiah Marshall or Cole Ballard? Uh, The other big takeaway from this, Brian Borland is the guy for the job. I said this going into last year that he undeservedly took too much heat for where the defense was because you saw the way the offense was playing and that it was one of the best offenses in the country even last year in just year two. And it was easy to see the defense, which finished, I think, last year. So 2021, they gave up 42 points per game. That was like bottom three in the country. 2022, they give up 35 points per game. So it was better, but that still was like 124th in the country. So it was still like bottom 10 in the country. And you see that compared to the offense. And it was like, okay, what's going on here? What, what is this guy's deal? You know, is, is he on the hot seat or anything like that? And I kind of said like, well, I don't know, man. The, the offense, the cupboard was a lot more full than it was for Brian Moore. Like you look at what Andy Kotelicki like inherited, like Jalen Daniels was recruited by Brent Deerman. Devin Neal was recruited by the Miles staff. He, you know, obviously he stayed committed and these players stayed and didn't transfer when the new staff came in. So they did have to, you know, recruit them from that standpoint of, of keeping them on board. But like a lot of these players, you know, Lawrence Arnold's recruited by like Emmett Jones and brought him from that area. Like Luke Graham was recruited by the previous staff. So like You you look across the, the board and yeah, there were some certain players they brought in or groomed, whether it was like Mike Nowitzki transferring in or, you know, Quentin Skinner broke out under this staff and stuff. Uh, so it's not to take away from that, and obviously this staff made the current players that were previously recruited even better. They they put them in the right scenarios, they put them in the right spots, they had the right schemes for them. Right? I'm not trying to take away from that, but there were a lot more there was a lot more talent there than there was provided on the defensive side of the ball that that was brought in. When you look at how much they had to shape with the defensive line and the linebacker positions, just by you know bringing in transfers, bringing in Craig Young, right? So it, it was just always a process and. Now you saw that big step forward this year. I'm excited to see what that can be next year. I think Brian Borland's a good defensive coordinator, and uh, I think it just took a little bit of having the right personnel to get to know that. Uh, the, the last thing I have here for for kind of what we learned from this season from a team-wide or program-wide perspective, this staff is known for development, and that's clearly something I think they're going to continue to excel at. But that doesn't mean they can't still hit their ABCs. If you don't know what the ABCs are in college sports, always be croutin'. Always be recruiting, basically. So uh, it's something where, you know, you look at some of the recruiting ranks at Buffalo and and they were always, you know, toward the end, but I don't think it really mattered. Like realistically, if, if you're ranked 120th in the country in recruiting rankings versus being ranked 90th, Is there that big of a difference when you're like a max school? It's all just going to come down to player development. You know, I've I've kind of said that even about KU. Is there that big of a difference if you're ranked 65th versus if you're ranked 55th? Probably not. It's just going to come down to development. There is a difference, though, when you're bringing in a bunch of four-star kids. There is a big difference when you're bringing in a bunch of kids that we don't see Kansas normally be able to get out to. And that's what they're doing. They're doing an unbelievable job at recruiting, which is really exciting for as great as these few years have been for KU football makes you even more excited possibly for the future in about a handful of years when some of the current guys they have come in in these last you know couple of classes start impacting things, when they add their development with the recruiting level that they've kind of been at compared to past KU years. Could be pretty special here in uh, about a handful of years in the new years of the Big 12. Uh, we're going to get on to the biggest player glow-ups from the season and an ode to the 2023 season for KU football, plus the uh, latest transfer portal targets for KU football on this edition of Locked on Jayhawks. First, we are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The NFL season is wrapping up for the regular season, but there's still going to be postseason action. There's still basketball going on, and there's still no better time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. There's your new year's resolution. Sign up for FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like Live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. If you don't you know, like coming up with the parlay yourself, you want to see what other people are doing, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find what popular parlays are going on. And they have more. They have boosts, promos, all sorts of stuff to help you get extra winnings. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Biggest player glow ups of the 2023 season. So these are players that I think had the most gained the most over the course of this past season. So like, for instance, you know, Kobe Bryant had a great season. He was first team all big 12, but he was first team all big 12 the year before. We knew he was a stud. We knew he was a star before. Right. That didn't change um when you look at Devin Neal like Devin Neal yes Devin Neal technically had an even better season in 2023 than he did in 2022 he had more yards he was still all conference but we knew Devin Neal was a stud before right so these are players who had the biggest glow-ups I think Jason Bean is the first right Jason Bean was kind of a I don't know controversial quarterback figure in that people knew he was he was uh, still a successful quarterback by KU standards. And he got KU bowl eligible last year with the win over Oklahoma State. He had some ups and downs, some big games, some some bad games, some big moments, some bad moments. Uh, and then it obviously ended with the, the bowl game where he throws the ball overthrown against Arkansas. And to be, I, I don't know, maybe this is easier to say looking back because KU has won a bowl game now this year and won nine games and everything. Honestly, even if Jason Bean completes that pass, are you confident at all the way that one was going that Arkansas is going to ever be stopped on a two-point conversion? They could have just ran halfback dive every play and gotten it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We don't need to open you know fresh wounds. But anyway, so you go into that and it's like, okay, is Jason Ming going to come back? Is he not? The staff convinces him to come back, and he has an unbelievable season. Uh, goes down in, in you know one of the I don't know ten best quarterback seasons by by KU quarterback, even doing so in uh, limited time. Wins a bowl game, gets a lot of wins. I mean, I thought the KU could have gotten to eight wins in the regular season, like I said earlier, but I definitely thought it was going to, it had to take Jalen Daniels. I thought if it was Jason Bean, maybe you're closer to a six win team. And I was completely wrong there. And I am so happy for him and, and what he did. He had an awesome season. Uh, finished in the top 15 in the country in total QBR. Finished ahead of Caleb Williams. Like, unbelievable season for, K- for uh, Jason Bean, man. Huge glow up for him. Uh, Michael Ford, I think, gets a huge glow up. This one may be more on the down low because it's an offensive lineman. People don't watch it as much. But, you know, Michael Ford had one of the best guard seasons of any guard in the entire Big 12. And when you think about Dominic Pooney, who I think was KU's best offensive lineman, Mike Nowitzki, who was maybe their most noteworthy offensive lineman and playing that cerebral center position. There's not as much attention that went to Michael Ford, but he was the guy filling in for Nowitzki in spring ball when he was injured and playing the center spot. He played all over the line, mostly the, the guard spot, and he had an excellent season. I, I think huge glow up for uh, Michael Ford that I go into this year, and I'm like, yeah, he could be an all-conference uh, level player for you. Austin Booker had a huge glow up. Obviously, this this one doesn't finish on a high note with him leaving KU now, but you go from being a player who wasn't really playing at Minnesota at all in two years to then coming to Kansas even in the off season, it was like, okay, this guy could be a good rotational D end for you. Maybe he starts, maybe he doesn't. And then we we get closer to the first game and it's like, okay, maybe it's him or Hayden Hatcher. Hayden Hatcher starts the first game. He doesn't even start the first game, but you see the passer right away. The first game, you you see the jump, you see the speed on the outside. And he ends up having an unbelievable season. One of the best sack artists and pass rushers in the big 12 and in the country Uh, to go from that, from being a guy that we didn't know, you know, how much was he going to play? Was he just going to be a guy who gives you 10 snaps a game, 20 snaps a game as a rotational DN and comes in in pass rush situations to turn into – one of your best and most valuable players overall was uh, pretty incredible. There, Melo Dotson, I think, gets one now. Melo, this one isn't maybe as as much of a glow up as like Melo was already a starter and he was already, I think, a fine player for you. But you look at some of the the target numbers or the completion percentage against, or some of the coverage grades against, and it wasn't always the most efficient. Even though Melo was getting a lot of time this year, he took the step where he took another level of efficiency. He started getting a bunch of interceptions, had that run where he had a couple big pick sixes there. So. He went from being I think basically a a I don't know like a guy who was good enough to be a starter in the Big 12 for you for the past previous couple seasons to then being one who was an all conference and even like on on one publication an all american level player. I think there was a big jump for his level of play this season which was really cool to see and I'm excited to see if he can take another one in 2024. And then the last one I have here is Marvin Grant. Uh this was somebody we heard about in the off season that was really starting to take things more serious from film study and the extra preparation that you do behind the scenes that he was he was never, I guess, bad at it. But he he went from being someone who was more of just your normal player and what they're doing to being somebody who was going over the top with it. That was always coming in for film study and extra work. And I think you saw that on the field because we knew he was a thumper. He was a hard-hitting safety when you brought him in from Purdue. And you saw that in 2022. He would come in and be a good box safety. Um, but this year, he took another step in coverage. He took another step in his overall game. And there were a lot of times this year where he was KU's best safety. And I think he can be an all-Big 12 player next year because of the type of season he had this year and then another year uh, at the fold for next year. But, you know, overall, when I think back to this season, what an unbelievable year. You know, 2021, specifically the end of the year, was kind of laying the foundation. I've made this analogy before. I thought 2022 was the foundation being built and 2023 was the foundation being finished. And now you're starting to add to the rest of the building, the rest of the house. The hope is that 2023 is the continuance of the arrow pointed up for KU and that this is just the beginning of widespread success. It's entirely possible that, you know, 2023 does end up being more of a destination, right? As much as we see them win nine games and you could have all these players uh, back, even even with ones that are leaving, but Kobe Bryant Melo Dotson back and Jalen Daniels back and some of these guys that they're going to have back for 2024. You know, we, we saw it with Iowa State, who is another team who – um, kind of like Kansas came up from being a program that was struggling and, and do all these sorts of things. And Iowa State ended up going to the Big 12 title game in, in the COVID year. They played in the Fiesta Bowl, won the Fiesta Bowl over Oregon, and they brought all the guys back. And the thought was, okay, Iowa State is going to be a top 10 good, top 15 good, uh, college football playoff dark horse in the 2020, or th- their following season. And they ended up winning like, I think, seven, I think they went like seven and five and lost to Notre Dame or something in a bowl game. So it doesn't always guarantee a jump up. And that's something to watch out for this next year. It is possible. This is more of a destination or peak type of season, but I don't get that feeling. It feels like you really are trending in the right direction. That momentum is headed your way, that this was the start of something special, but either way, this season means a lot to the program, to the university, to the city of Lawrence. And boy, was it a fun one, fun one to watch, fun one to cover, fun one to talk about from capturing a top 10 win over Oklahoma Um, to dealing with quarterback injuries, to the amazing highlights and plays and catches and pick sixes all the way through. This was the most fun KU football season that I have ever had. I mean, I I started really, I don't know, I, I came to KU in whatever, 2012, 2013, something like that. And from then on, I mean, it's it's by far, you know, the number one as that goes. Obviously, for older heads, you'll have past seasons that maybe rival this one or better than this one, but uh, unbelievably fun season, I think, uh, above all else. We're going to finish up latest transfer portal stuff for KU football and who are some of their latest targets with this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. Uh, let's get to our latest transfer portal talk for KU football and some of their latest targets, offers, and what specifically they're looking for right now with this episode. And don't forget, you can check out our piece from yesterday, Kobe Bryant returning, Armage Reed Adams transferring away. So you can find that anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube page. We'll have some KU basketball content later in the week with Locked on j So I think in general, now that Armaj Reed Adams is transferred out, I think KU was already seemingly in on trying to bring in an offensive lineman. That was apparent from some of the offers that were out there now that our Marjorie Adams is gone, I feel like it would make sense that maybe they'd go after two guys, right? Because if you brought one in with the idea that one wasn't even going to be leaving in the get-go. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it's two. I, I think it would make sense if they brought in a center, at the very least an interior guy, because then you can either say, okay, you're bringing in a guard, moving Michael Ford to center, or you're going to have Ford move to guard. Or not move to guard, but, but stay at guard, I guess, uh, and, and not have him play center so uh those are kind of some of the options there you have maybe you bring in a tackle for more competition with with uh you know cable do slash brown slash clements on the tackle spots or maybe it's just more of like a swing man who can play guard or tackle if you need it because you saw the ability of a Marjorie adams to do that and it was helpful for to depth um outside of that i i think you know, you look at quarterback, I don't think they're going to be adding anyone there. I think you're comfortable with Marshall and Ballard as, as the backup there to Jalen. Um, running back spot, again, uh, running back receiver, both spots that unless somebody were to transfer away, then I don't think they'd be adding someone in. You look at the defensive side of the football. Uh, they were already going hard after defense linemen, both trying to bring in an interior guy. You lose Phillips and Gage Keys. And an edge guy, they brought in Woodkey, but now that uh, Austin Booker's gone, probably makes sense to bring in another defensive end, probably still makes sense to bring in one or two interior defensive linemen. You look at the linebacker spot, would make sense to bring in a linebacker or maybe even two. Um, I, I guess it depends how confident they are in what Logan Brantley can give you next season, on what Jason Gilliam can give you at the Hawk position on uh, J.B. Brown taking another step forward, on Tywon Berry Berryhill taking a big step forward next year, right? There, there are a lot of kind of moving parts that, that go into that, but uh, now with the secondary with Kobe and Mello back, probably doesn't make sense to bring in any uh, more secondary players. You already brought in Devon Die. so you're mostly looking at, at the uh, line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and the front seven on defense with linebacker and D-line. Uh, there's only one offer that I've kind of seen since the last time we did this about a week ago, um, Javier Derrett. Is a six foot two, two hundred and eighty pounds senior defensive tackle from North Dakota State. This is going to be his sixth year in college and his last one. He redshirted and had a COVID year, so that's why he gets your sixth year. So experienced player, that's always good on on the line of scrimmage. He had thirty one tackles, three and a half TFLs, two and a half sacks, and over the last three years, he produced eighty tackles, fifteen TFLs, and ten sacks for obviously a North Dakota State team that is uh, typically one of the best, if not the best, in. Uh, FCS football. He had a 65.4 PFF grade with ratings of 65.9 in run defense, 59.4 in tackling, 64.8 in pass rush. And he's been between a 61.4 and a 69.7 overall in each of his first five years. So he's been very consistent there. Essentially, if 60 to 69 is average, he's been an average starting level defensive tackle throughout his entire career who could bring in for you, whether it's to be a starter, you know, you might not need a starting defense tackle. Maybe Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers are both ready to take that over. Maybe Caleb Taylor and Keenan Caldwell are good enough for you to feel like you have some good depth there too. Maybe you just need someone who can come in and be a depth piece for you, but I think you would at least compete to be a starter. And maybe he could be a starter for you. I will say, uh, we saw this with Devin Phillips, Devin Phillips never had like great PFF grades. They were in the sixties. And I think uh, when you look at it, like, uh, PFF does grade things a little bit. I was talking to to somebody about this, that, um, they do use a bit of their college grades as they're preparing it for trying to figure out who are the best pros. And so they're going to give guys with flash plays a bigger boost than the guys who just consistently fill the gap every time. And so from that standpoint, like, um, if you're doing your job, and just being a good run block or run stopping defense tackle is taking up multiple blockers. It's not going to be graded as high on PFF as somebody who, you know, isn't as good against the run, but then is making flash plays and breaking through once and again, because that's more indicative of the NFL. So I do think this kid could be a little better than that PFF grade shows, just as I thought Devin Phillips was better than his PFF grade showed. And when you look at what KU asks their defensive tackles to do, it is more about clogging the run and, you know, taking up run blocks and everything uh and in allowing the linebackers and defensive ends to kind of make those big plays. But he's originally from Missouri and went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Kansas. So maybe that gives you a little bit of a local flair there. He does have offers from like Minnesota and Michigan State and USC. His uh former head coach at North Dakota State took the, I think it was the linebackers job. It was one of the assistant coaching jobs at USC. So maybe that helps them with some sort of in there. Then again, maybe he views it as hey, you left. You know, North Dakota State, I, I, why would I go? I don't, I don't know. Who knows? You, you never know the relationships there. But either way, I certainly want to keep an eye on uh, and we'll keep you updated with any more names in future episodes of Locked on Jayhawks. You can find our show anywhere you get your podcast, including on our YouTube page. Back tomorrow with a Big 12 basketball season preview to get ready as KU awaits TCU. We'll have that preview later in the week too with LOJ.